This is the Bigger Pockets Podcast Show 704. You know, every day I wake up and I we're building this thing that, in my opinion, is providing so much value in this real estate space. Um, and we're providing a real service on the front end and the back end. And we're, you know, we're helping people and we're helping fulfill people's dreams on the back end of owning their dream property. Maybe they don't own a home, but it's pretty damn easy for them to go and put their credit card in and pay $200 a month. And in five to 10 years, they're going to own this thing that they can pass down to their children. That's a story that we hear all the time. What's going on, everyone? This is David Green, your host of the Bigger Pockets podcast, here today with a fantastic show for you, where I interview Paul Hersko and Willie Goldberg, two fantastic gentlemen that formed a partnership and have put together a business model you've probably never heard of regarding real estate. These two have figured out a way to buy raw land package it on a website and sell it to people on terms where they can put usually a couple hundred dollars a month of a monthly payment to buy land in a contract, kind of like a rent to own. And it's been fantastic for them. They currently own over 700 lots that they're selling to other people and counting. They've got uh, 15 salespeople alone, as well as an entire backend operation and a fascinating business model that if you're having a hard time finding ways to make money in real estate and you're open to something new, you might really enjoy this. You might think you want real estate, but that's not true. What you really want is passive income. With new investors struggling to find deals or get enough money to buy them and veteran landlords tired of the constant tenant phone calls, is there a better alternative? Actually, there is. Short notes from Connect Invest. Connect Invest is an online investing platform that allows you to easily participate in passive real estate investing, and all you need is $500 to start. Short Notes collectively funds a diversified portfolio of commercial and residential real estate projects across acquisition, construction, and development phases. You'll earn a fixed monthly income without the hassle of owning or managing real estate. Head to connectinvest.com BP to create your account. Fund your digital wallet with at least $500. Select from six, 12, and 24-month short notes with annualized return rates up to 9%. Then sit back and let your monthly returns roll in. Join today by visiting connectinvest.com slash VP. Connectinvest.com slash VP. What's better than low money down? No money down. Now through rent to retirement, you can buy a brand new construction turnkey rental property for no money down. Wait, hold on. This can't be right. I need to double check with Zach, rental retirement CEO. Oh, hey, Rob. Zach, how the heck are you selling turnkey rental properties for $0 down? <laughs> it's not that complicated, Rob. Rent to Retirement has new construction properties up to $20,000 below retail prices. We also have investor loans with rates as low as 3.99% and down payment options as low as 5% or sometimes even zero money down. You get all the cash flow, appreciation, and equity for as little as zero money down. That's an infinite return. Oh, wait, wait. Let me get on this before we tell it to the whole Bigger Pockets audience. Just head to renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com or text REI to 33777. That's REI to 33777 to learn more about how you can get started investing with no money down today. Get your next new construction property at a steep discount or invest with no money down. Head to rentoretirement.com today. Passive income without the property headache? It's possible. There's a way to invest passively in real estate and get monthly income without any tenants, maintenance, or property management. The wealthy have been doing this for years, and if you're an accredited or high net worth investor, you too can collect cash flow without the headaches that come from owning rentals. How? By investing in a private real estate fund with PPR Capital Management. 
PPR's co-founder, Dave Van Horn, wrote the book on real estate note investing for BP. But he's not just investing in notes. Dave and his team also have an extensive background in commercial real estate. And with PPR Capital Management, they're strategically investing in both notes and commercial real estate nationwide. With over half a billion dollars in assets under management, PPR has provided individuals with a steady source of truly passive income since 2007 without ever missing a payment. Check them out at investwithppr.com. Again, if you're looking to get monthly passive income from an experienced team with a strong track record, go to investwithppr.com today. Before we bring in Paul and Willie, where we go back and forth digging deep into their business and a lot of the specifics of what they look for in a property, mistakes that they've made, ways that they've lost money, how they figure out where they should be buying and how they're structured, I'm going to give you a quick tip that I hope you never forget. During the show, when we're diving deep to try to figure out why is their business working so well, it comes to the surface that they focus on solving problems and making the experience better for the consumer. And they actually refer to Amazon as a company that focuses on the consumer experience instead of the owner experience. And it has me thinking, so much of of life and success in life comes down to how much value do you try to bring others versus how much value do you try to take from others? It's very easy to look for something in life or someone in life that will give you what you want. It is much more difficult in life to look for what other people need or want and try to provide that to them. But when you think about the people that you want to do business with or you want to give the best version of yourself to, they're always the people that put your needs first. So here's my challenge to you. Think about how you can meet others' needs without worrying about your own and wait and see if the quality of your life doesn't improve. Living this life of faith will often help you in business, in life, in relationships, in many other areas. And as you listen to today's show, you will see this theme pop up over and over and over. All right. Hope that helps. Let's get to Paul and Willie's story. Paul Hersko and Willie Goldberg, welcome to the Bigger Pockets podcast. How are you two doing? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm doing super well. Uh, glad to be here and excited to be on Bigger Pockets. I've used to listen to this podcast religiously um, when I was getting started, and it really meant everything to me. So, uh, super excited to be on the other side, actually being interviewed. Yeah, and it's going to be really weird when you guys hear your voice on here for the first time. I remember when that happened to me. So just brace yourselves right now. It's kind of a surreal feeling, but we'll make sure that we get a good show. We actually just learned that you guys live in an area where I've been buying rental properties and visiting quite a bit in South Florida. That was pretty cool. Yeah, I'm out in Pompano Beach. You said you got a a rental nearby. So if you ever need anyone to go check it out, I'm I'm your eyes and ears on the ground. So uh, happy to help with whatever I can. And Paul, you mentioned you're in Boca Raton. Yep, I'm up here in uh, Boca Raton. Yeah, it looks like Florida looking in the background. Yeah, camera. people ask if it's a real or fake background. Like, <laughs> I, this is how where I take all my Zoom calls. I'm like, nope, it's Florida. If we're lucky, we'll see an iguana come like running right across the road. They're very funny when they run. Like, I don't know how to describe an iguana's run. Its feet kind of like go out. They don't just go like straight forward. Like they go out and come in. It's hilarious to me every single time I watch them. Have you guys grown up in that area or did you move out that way? No, so we actually both grew up in uh, Chicago. We moved about two years ago, um, and we actually like didn't know each other growing up. And maybe, maybe we'll get into it later. Maybe we won't. But we we actually grew up one town over from each other in Chicago, but never knew each other until we really kind of started this business. It all kind of crossed paths, but. Yeah, we're from Chicago. All right. Now, I understand you two met and you've sort of built a real estate empire after meeting. So tell me what's the origin story of your relationship. We'll start with you, Willie. Where were you in life when you met Paul and what happened when you guys met? 
So I was, yeah, we were still both living in Chicago. Um, at the time we both lived down there, actually first office was out there. Um, so I was running basically the same version of the business that we, that discount lots is we rebranded when we eventually partnered, but we, I met Paul at a party. I had like a trolley trolleys are super popular in Chicago. I had like one of my buddies was leaving town and, um, my one of my good buddies from growing up, uh, he married Paul's sister. And so just happened to be that he brought him to the party and we met uh, on the trolley and hit it off right then and there. And uh, not soon after that, did we form our partnership. But at the time I was uh, basically running uh, the land business on my own. Paul had a very different experience and, and skill set than me. Um, and we kind of recognized that when we first met and that's kind of how it all started. All right, Paul. What was going on in your life at the time that you met Willie? Yeah, so I had a um, Amazon e-commerce business uh, at the time. It was super hot when I, you know, I started basically like 2015. I was like thinking about starting a business. I was like, I'm either going to go into real estate because I was listening to bigger pockets at the time, or I'm going to go into Amazon. That was when Amazon was like super easy, 2015, 2016 area where like you could just put a product up and it would sell super well. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to start with Amazon. So, because the barrier to entry is lower than real estate. And so I went down that path and I guess Willie went down the other path. Uh, but so I had an Amazon business, uh, with one employee and I was feeling pretty, uh, unfulfilled at the time. I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing. I just kind of felt like I was taking things, putting on the internet, making a profit and, you know, just not really providing value. So that, that's kind of where I was. I was kind of seeking at the time something new and it just happened that we crossed paths. So was it working out? Was the e-commerce business profitable? Yeah, definitely. I think at the time we were probably doing maybe 2 million in revenue a year and taking home a couple hundred grand. I mean, it was nothing crazy, but it was, you know, paid the bills and let me travel the world and do whatever I wanted, but it wasn't like, you know, I'm rich or anything. So was the problem that you wanted to make more money or was there something else about real estate that was appealing to you when you came across it? Yeah. So I, it, it's more so that it was about the fulfillment. It wasn't really about the money. It was about providing value in the world. And, and, um, I grew up around real estate. My dad, um, you know, he, Growing up, he had all kinds of Section 8 housing in Chicago. That was kind of his niche that he was doing my entire life. Like he, he it wasn't his main thing. It was his side thing. So as a kid, he used to take me uh, to all these Section 8 buildings and I would help him. Actually, he, my I would go with my grandpa too and collect rent. And that was like my earliest memories of real estate. And then my dad sold his first business and he was flipping houses when I was in like second grade for like a year or two while he was in between his next thing. So I've really grown up around real estate, but I never really did anything with it until 2019. But I've been around it my whole life. Yeah, that I had a similar experience where I had a mentor, Tim Road, when I was like 18, 19 years old. We've had him on the show before. And he kind of got me into, he was an agent that bought houses and flipped them. And I worked with him for a little bit, but I didn't stick with it. I went off and I got into law enforcement and I just bought a handful of rentals, but I never really took real estate investing seriously. I think there was something about that seed being planted though, that when I did come across an opportunity to get deeper into real estate investing, it was just pouring water on a seed that was there. 
versus a lot 100%. of people that haven't ever had that seed planted. So they first get exposed to it and it, it takes a while to like germinate. Was, Willie, was it a similar experience for you? Like, did you already have real sit on the brain or was it when you met Paul that you first got introduced to this? No. So my story, um, I come from a financial background. So I got out of school and got out of college and started my career in investment banking. So I had the financial um, investment banking, like analytical sort of experience and background and um, skill set. So that was my background. And for me, it was, I was just looking to find something. I, I didn't originally know what I wanted to get into. For me, I, I, I mean, it was bigger pockets, what piqued my interest, uh, just kind of Googling around, listening to different podcasts, found bigger pockets. And um, basically what in, in, interested me about it was I was looking for a way to get out of the profession, investment banking, finance, the culture's super tough and uh, hard to kind of sustain over a long period. So I was pretty sick of it and just trying to find something I could do that would uh, I could make a, a good amount of money com comparable to my salary. I wanted to obviously exceed where I was. And for me, it was the the I saw the people that were really doing well in scaling and crushing it in real estate were the ones who were thinking about it at a high level, thinking about it differently, thinking about it from an analytical and intelligent perspective and building systems and scaling. Um, so that's what really interested me about it was the um, the numbers aspect to it. And um, I thought my experience from finance was super relevant, not quite from looking at a deal standpoint, but from a analytical and kind of system standpoint. That's really good. Now, when you two met, I'll start with you, Paul. What was it about your, like, how did you meet? What was the relationship like when you guys first crossed paths? Oh, this is a good story, actually. So met met Willie at the party. We're like, you know, we're drinking on this party bus. And my brother-in-law is like, hey, come meet my friend Willie. Like, because, you know, I don't, I, at the time, I didn't have like, you know, hundreds of entrepreneur friends that lived in Chicago. He was like, me and my friend Willie, he's another entrepreneur. You might like him. So we like started talking or whatever. And I think uh, this, so, so we, you know, we exchange phone numbers, become, fr you know, friendly. And then the second time we hung out, I was actually going skydiving with one of my friends. Um, I like to do, uh, I like to do high risk things. I have a lot of fun with it. Uh, and I texted Willie, like, so the first time we hung out outside of this party, I was like, do you want to go skydiving? <laughs> and so... We went skydiving the second time we hung out was me, him, and another friend. So that was like the first time we, we hung out like outside of this party. So I thought that was, we kind of just started this thing with a bang. Did you guys each have like another dude strapped onto your back or were you experienced skydivers to where you could do it on your own? Oh, we had, we had, you know, grown men strapped right to the back of us. It was, it was hot. Yeah. That'll actually create a bond between two people. Like I, I'm sure the just massive, crazy dopamine rush of jumping out of a plane is going to like shake you out of your comfort zone a little bit. And then you look over at that person and they just went through the same thing and you lock eyes and you're like, this is the beginning of a bromance. Now, how did you realize that your skill sets were going to be complementary? Like Willie, from your perspective, it sounds like you're very comfortable with numbers, models, uh, even a degree of risk. I'm sure if you're working in the financial industry that you weren't like a typical W2 worker who says like, ah, uh, you mean I don't get a paycheck guaranteed and they just can't get out of that. 
you are probably used to dealing with mitigating and analyzing risk as part of an overall model. So you're almost like bred to be ready to be good at that form of real estate investing. What was it like when you met Paul? What was appealing about him as a partner? Yeah. So I obviously have a very different background than Paul. So financial modeling, um, systems, um, analytical. Paul comes from a sales, e-commerce, marketing background. So he's super strong from this. So what I found is when, when I started the business is like I got started in land investing and then listing property on a website. So that's kind of the origin of where it started. Um, I tried to sell a lot of properties cash and then realized that when I once I created a website and offered owner financing, that's really when um, things started cooking and, and doing really well for us um, or well for me. And then the e-commerce aspect is super unique to our niche and what we built. Um, not any, not really, I don't know if there's any other real estate niches, e-commerce and marketing heavy as kind of what we've built. So just kind of seeing it from that aspect and just meeting Paul at that party and him just talking about marketing sales ideas that he had. I mean, that's really, um, what interested me in working with Paul because he had that experience and that skill set of optimizing listings, marketing, paid ads, um, that, that background in Amazon. So it was a very like it wouldn't have worked if he had come from a finance background because that's where I come from and he wouldn't have been able to provide any value from there. Um, but the, the fact that he used to do door to door sales, um, he used to go door to door. I think it was B two B pharmaceutical sales, and um, come coming from the e commerce Amazon background, that's just like a high level entrepreneur doing good doing big things um, from a very different perspective. That's really what um, what made it work. So the complementary skill sets is the only thing that really made our par- partnership thrive. Now, how did you two decide on raw land? Was that one of your proposals, or did you both come to that decision together? No. So the story the story is that Willie was doing this. Uh, he had, I think, one or two VAs at the time. Uh, he was doing this for like two or three years before we crossed paths. And then he was telling me about what he was doing. And as soon as he told me, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen or ever heard of. And then I started like looking into it and I was like, wow, there's so many opportunities for me to take my knowledge and skills, combine it with what he's doing and really build a true brand and really, you know, take this thing to levels that we today can't even fathom that we're at already. Um, but it was just seeing this opportunity that he, in this, you know, cause he's doing the same thing in the space for many years and I never even heard of this thing. And then I look at it outside of looking in, I'm like, whoa, like there's a lot of things we can do here. And that's kind of how it got started. So he had a lot of experiences before I jumped in the mix. So Willie, what was it about raw land that sort of caught your attention in the first place? So I was originally working in Boston and I was listening to all these podcasts with household sailors and flippers. And so that was the original angle that I wanted to go to, uh, down because it just seemed like the natural path, the only way at the time of what I thought to make active income in real estate rather than buying a property, sitting on it, earning some residual income. So I started looking down the wholesaling flipping path. But for me, I was in Boston at the time working and I knew that that's not the market that I wanted to be in. And I was also listening to a lot of people struggle with the marketing side of it. So I continued to uh, listen to podcasts and find different avenues in real estate that um, could potentially work. And so I stumbled upon land and what attracted me towards land compared to houses is the fact that it can all be done virtually. You can 
analyze a property um, all behind a computer screen um, looking at Google Earth. So like I could buy a property in California, Florida, Texas, wherever, all from Boston. So that was the original thing that attracted me. I didn't have to go on site to a home, inspect a home, uh, make offers in, in living rooms with sellers. And uh, the second thing that attracted me towards land was the margins of what people were able to buy it and sell it for. So um, I heard of people selling lots or buying lots at 15, 10, 15, 20 cents on the dollar and flipping it for 100 cents on the dollar, 90 to 100 cents on the dollar. And I, I just, um, just from my background, like return on investment from, even though numbers were maybe a little bit smaller than houses, it's just the total return and the low barriers of entry. You could buy a lot for uh, five grand, sell it for 25,000, for example. Um, so lower barriers of entry, lower capital commitments, all done remotely. And um, the ability to scale it as well, because again, it's all behind a computer screen. It seemed a lot easier to scale than uh, maybe some other niches because of the virtual aspect to it. So what is it about land's margins that are so favorable? Yeah, so I can get into sort of why our business model exists um, because it leads into the margins. But basically, um, we're able to acquire lots from sellers um, at like, like I just alluded to, 10, 15, 20 cents in the dollar. And so the reason we're able to do it um, is it, at and we, we play in a price point that's typically less than 50,000 bucks of where we'll sell a property. So we play in a, generally on the lower end of the land market. It's uh, For one, it's a lot harder to get deals in metro areas. Um, but two, the margins are way better at the lower price points. So sub 50,000 um, bucks, a buyer is like will not be able to get a loan from a traditional bank. So banks are unwilling to lend on vacant land. They don't like the collateral administratively. It's very difficult. If there's a default, they don't know how to resell it. Let me interrupt you quickly. I need you guys to come up with the name for the moment when the newbie investor first realizes they can't use a 30-year fixed rate Fannie Mae loan to buy raw land. Like there's always this moment like, wait, what? I, like it, the assumptions, I mean, oh, I could buy it for 15 grand and put it on a 30-year note. And then when they realize it doesn't work like that, it's always heart crushing. Do you come across that very often in your <laughs> in your experience? Yeah. I, I, when I first got started <laughs> in real estate, I thought like banks would just let, give you money. Like you show up with like a pen and your driver's license. That's That was my impression of banks when I first got started. Turns out, just not the case. Not the case, right? That's exactly right. Okay, go ahead with where you were. I just I know there's someone listening to this like, oh man, I could buy a land for a 30 year, and they're doing the math in their head, you know, their, their mortgage payments. $100 a month? There you go, years? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, banks are unwilling to lend in the space, and at the price point that we operate in, title companies uh, charge significant costs, and realtors also charge significant costs as a fun as a function of the purchase price uh, because realtors have minimum. Yeah. They're not going to work for 3% on a $15,000 lot. Right. So realtors are forced to charge a higher price as a proportion of the sale price. Um, and then also title companies do the same. And also just to add on to that, realtors are not incentivized to market and sell property at the price point as well. Um, one, it could be far for them to drive out to um, compared to a house that's in town that's closer to where they live. And then just also they're not incentivized to do so because the commission is so much lower. So the market from all sides is just fairly broken. 
Um, so sellers are willing to part ways for a property at a fraction of what it's worth. We deal with a lot of people who inherited properties, don't know what to do with it as well, and motivated sellers. But um, in addition to that, the industry being fairly broken from a financial standpoint, from a motive, like incentive standpoint, from realtors, sellers, and title companies uh, allows us to kind of hop in there and um, purchase property at major discounts. Walk me through briefly. Uh, and I'll have you answer this, Willie, and then I'll get to you, Paul. What is the process like at a 30,000 foot view of how you go from buying land to how you're going to go to sell it? I'm sure there's some developing that's taking place in the in the middle, right? Yeah. So the process um, is we buy property from traditional marketing that you'll see in most other real estate niches. So we'll do cold calling. We've got a team that does cold calling. We send out a lot of direct mail as well. Um, get offers in front of people. We actually send out uh, off- offer prices on the purchase agreements that we send out in the mail. And so we've got a sales team, acquisitions team that closes the deals, negotiates deals, get good prices. And then we've got a due diligence and closing team that closes the transaction or works with title companies to close the transaction. Once we own the property, uh, we list it on our website, discountlots.com. And um, from there, we basically run paid ads. Um, We do a lot of marketing. a lot of paid marketing, organic marketing um, to drive traffic to the website. And then we've got a sales team of about 15 people uh, that basically just they're calling the leads, working the leads um, and cl- closing the sale. Um, from there, they, they generally enter into a contract um, to, to buy the property. So the, again, we're, the problem that we solved is that there's no financing available for the for lots at the price point that we operate. Um, so we actually offer the financing. So a, we like unlock this unlimited demand of buyer base of people who want to own property but haven't been able to afford it and pay cash. Um, so we offer it on low down payments, low monthly payments over a period of seven to eight years on average. And uh, yeah, we've got a customer service team that um, handles the customer after the point of sale. Okay. So once you close on the property though, what are you doing before you're going to sell it? So that's the beauty of our business is like the value that we're adding, um, is the financing piece. So we're not a finance company. We sell on installment contracts, 0% interest. Um, but the value that we're providing is not, we're fixing up the property, not that we're like adding a fence or cleaning up or paving in roads. We're not doing any of that. The value that we're providing is from the installment sale contract. Yeah, I'll say, let me simp- let me simplify it. So like in the simplest form, I guess for the audience and for what we do is like, basically we, we buy properties off market from landowners at major discounts uh, because of these market inefficiencies. You know, grandma died, left you a piece of property in Joshua Tree, California, you're paying taxes. You don't like you don't want anything to do with that. You live in Chicago, you're paying a couple hundred bucks in taxes. You don't want 40 acres in the middle of the desert. But there's a lot of people that do. So we'll buy it from them, make it really easy for them to, you know, to sell their property to us. Uh we'll buy it from them for cash. And then we have, you know, our website, which we consider like almost a platform of traffic and people uh, come to the website. They find a property they like. So that 40 acre property come to our website. It's as easy as putting their credit card into our website. They can check out like a full e-commerce experience, work with a salesperson, not work with a salesperson. They check out. And as soon as they check out, we'll start billing their credit card on a monthly payment and they can use the property while they're making the monthly payments. It's almost like I think like rent to own. So they're making monthly payments and then 
you know, our average note. So we're holding all the notes. That's kind of like what, what our, our big value add is. And so we have a huge portfolio of people making these monthly payments and we're charging their cards on this monthly payment. Then they're, it's, it's almost like a, a rental portfolio, but the rental portfolio ends, right? Um, there's, there's an expiration date on that unless they stop paying and we sell it again. But, um, we're basically co- collecting, we're, we're collecting passive income on vacant land. And then once they make that final payment, then they have full, full ownership of that property. Does that make a little more sense? Let me see if I get, if I understand, I think I do. You guys go find properties and buy them below market value so that you can own them free and clear from your perspective. Maybe you raise money to, to do that, but your company owns this lot, right? That you bought with OPM of some type. Then you sell it to somebody marked up from what you paid for it, but still probably less than they would have to pay if they went to go try to find it on the open market. And it's easy for them because they go right to your website. They don't have to go to like whatever realtor in town happens to sell land and try to figure it out and go through that process. Then you make it even better for them because they can pay, uh, uh, they can buy it on terms in a sense. So they're going to do, is there a down payment they're going to pay or is it just, yeah, it's really, it's really easy. We, we basically, it's a low monthly, low down payment, uh, to, to, like the lower price stuff. It's $1 down $300 document fee. So 300 bucks to get started. And our average contract price is around like 250 bucks. I think our lowest is 180. So we'll just charge their car 250 bucks for, uh, average eight years. Some of the terms are 10 years, uh, and it's just on a recurring payment and then they can go and use the property. Now they can use the property or are they buying the property and they're taking title to it? So they don't get title. It's a land contract, uh, installment contract. So they don't, they can use the property while they're making the payments. They can't go and if they want to, for example, go and build a house on it today, those buyers are going to come to us and they'll probably get a traditional construction loan and then take it out from us because it doesn't make sense for them to start building if they don't have ownership of it. Cause there's, it's just too, too, from their perspective, from the buyer's perspective, it doesn't make any sense. So, you know, we'll get people that, uh, want to go dirt biking or shoot guns or, you know, want to just, you know, put their airstream out there camping, you name it. Like our plethora of stuff people do with the lots is you, will bend your imagination. People want have horses and they want to have a stable for their horses, all kinds of stuff. And it's as easy as just, you know, charging the credit card. Okay. That was my next question is I assume this was for real estate development, but if a lot of them are not actually developed opposite, real estate. Opposite. So this is some land that you could be hunted on that you guys buy and somebody wants to like, whatever we're going to call this, buy it for lack of a better term, um, lease it from you. And then they get the right to use it for for hunting or for whatever they're going out there to do camping putting their rv on and maybe they can run a business that way right they make it into like they put several rvs there and then they turn them into glam sites or something is that the idea yeah give her more or less exactly awesome so first off i've never heard of anyone else doing this you guys might be the only people in the world that thought of this so kudos to you because brandon turner i used to say a lot when the market got hot and hard you don't find great deals you make great deals now it's very hard to make great deals now you got to like design great deals. Like you have to be creative in the market we're in now because resources are so scarce and interest rates are so high. You have to find a creative way to help people make money rather than just like, you know, it used to be super simple. Go buy a house, make a cosmetic rehab, sell it for more. And then it became buy a house, make a cosmetic rehab and a deeper rehab and add units and then rent it out. And just as this has become more and more competitive, you're getting, it's becoming more and more difficult to figure out ways to make profit. So you guys are doing something that's awesome here. Once you figured out this is what we want to do, uh, how did what were the first steps you took in scaling 
what the system would look like. I'll start with you, Paul. So what I like what we talked about before, like we're not the first people to do this by any means. Uh, I just think that we do it better. We've created better systems and we've scaled it much larger than anyone else just because we've built this really strong infrastructure and we, you know, we treat, we treat our business like a brand. Um, and so that, that's a little bit, you know, I don't want to take credit like that. We invented this business model. It exists. I think we've just fine tuned it to a really high level. So this, how did we think about scaling? So um, started the business uh, first couple of years, uh, did basically 150 something deals before, uh, 150 deals a year before Paul and I started. And then when Paul and I started, um, it was just myself. I had basically one full VA and a few part-time VAs who were helping with the administrative side of it. Once Paul and I uh, started working together, we really thought about scaling from a people standpoint and a system standpoint and taking the business super seriously. So I think um, we, at that point, like 150 deals to, at this point, we'll try to finish this year around 1500 deals. So basically 10X the business in the past three years. So the way we did it is is largely by plugging in a lot of people into a system that works. So I think one thing that we did that really changed the game for us is building out a sales team. Um, before it was mostly myself handling a lot of the sales calls. And then we built out this team. We built, we started running a lot of paid marketing, getting a lot more leads in the door, driving a lot more traffic to the website. Um, and we basically made a big mess. Um, and so we needed to start thinking through how to scale smartly, intelligently. So, I mean, we've hired a few business coaches at this point and we've implemented EOS. Um, we manage our business uh, with a lot of KPIs and uh, we manage over 250 KPIs that we track on a weekly basis to make sure that each person in uh, each department is, is hitting the numbers that they need and so that we can oversee and uh, understand reporting at a high level. So at this point, um, we have 60 over 60 employees that run all sides of the business. And so it's really the people and the processes that allowed us to scale from where we were at when we first started 150 deals a year to around 1500 deals a year. Um, so I think that that's primarily what happened. What's some of the risk involved here? Like if you buy a stinker and just like nothing happens with it, like what are the stuff you got to look out for? What's some of the risks that someone might not think is associated with buying this land? Oh man, Willie's, Willie's got before Willie, Willie and I started, he, he had a lot of good war stories. Uh, we don't really miss very often anymore just because we've gotten so many reps in when you buy 1500 properties a year and you sell 1500. So call it 3000 deals on the front and the back a year. It's kind of, you, you kind of, it's kind of like rinse and repeat at this point, but there's a lot of stuff you got to look out for. Uh, I, I see Willie smiling over there. Maybe you want to share some of those good war stories. Yeah. Like, before I was around. Paul had it easy because I basically figured out all the mistakes and things not to do before he came on. So I had bought property in all over the country. Uh, I can't even tell you how many different counties. Um, and just learned that some property just doesn't sell. Some property just sits and sits and sits. And you really need to go to where there's actually deals happening. So the biggest mistake that I first made when I started was buying a ton of property in New Mexico. Um, so I don't touch that. We don't really touch that state anymore. Um, but we really got to go to where there already exists demand. And um, so that was primary. That was probably the biggest mistake that I've, I've made. But from a due diligence standpoint, um, this niche is super forgiving because we buy these properties so cheap. 
So if you buy a property, you didn't realize there's in a flood zone, you buy a property that doesn't have an easement, that doesn't have any road access, it's going to be, um, you're, you're still going to be okay because you bought the property so darn cheap. And um, since we're able to solve a problem by offering owner financing, and there's not a lot of offers in town, the product market fit is just so strong that you're going to be able to find a buyer for almost any property. So I have, there's only, I could probably count the number of properties on on one hand, maybe two hands that I've lost money on. I think we lost three, three or four thousand dollars. It was the first time that we've together in three years lost money. I think it was three or four thousand dollars. We had this agent working for a, uh, sorry, uh, acquisitions guy that worked for us. This was his only deal. He, he didn't make it at the company very long, but this is the one deal. And, uh, we were working with a real estate agent actually to kind of help us comp it out. It was a higher dollar property, not one of these cheap ones. I think it was a $87,000 purchase price. And the real, we all misread, like in Florida, certain parts of Florida, they have this thing called a DEP study, which is a uh, Department of Environmental Protection. And these studies will tell you how wet or not wet the property is. And this agent who we had done a good amount of deals with told us, oh, this is a great property, super dry. looks at the study and she's like, yeah, this is a winner. You know, you're going to, you're going to sell this thing for 150 grand. And we're like, awesome. This kid working for us is doing great. Well, after we close on it, a couple of weeks later, she goes, oh my God, guys, I'm so sorry. I misread the study and it's actually 87 or 85% wet. This is going to be a problem. And I'm like, we trusted you. Now we don't. So I think we had to, we had to take like a couple thousand dollar haircut. It took a really long time to sell it, but we sold it. We closed on it. Um, that was the, like really in recent history where we, we took a little bit of a haircut. Um, but Willie's got a lot of great war stories, uh, from back in the day. You're ready to open a business bank account for your new property. You know what that means? Coordinating a time between you, your co-founders, and your bank consultant. Waiting at the branch or waiting for hours on the support line. Who has time for that? With Relay, you can open a business bank account for your property 100% online from anywhere. Create up to 20 accounts to organize money by property or by categories like expenses, taxes, or investments. Effortlessly collaborate with role-specific access. That means giving your cleaner a debit card for cleaning supplies or your accountant read-only access to your transactions. Own multiple businesses? Relay lets you open unlimited accounts and access them all from one centralized login. Okay, I'm just, I'm going off script here. That is cool. It's annoying that I have to log into 10 business accounts with my current bank. So go sign up for RelayFi because that's a, that's a feature that I like. No monthly fees or minimums, and it takes just 10 minutes to sign up. Head on over to RelayFi.com biggerpockets for stress-free banking. You can join me because I'm heading on over there right now. I'm heading on over to RelayFi.com slash biggerpockets. Relay is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by ThreadBank, member FDIC. The Relay Visa debit card is issued by ThreadBank pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. and may be used everywhere Visa debit cards are accepted. Finding rental property insurance has been a headache for the past few years. You know the feeling. You're scrambling, calling 20 different insurance agencies in a dozen different cities, struggling to protect your portfolio at the right cost. But I'm going to tell you a little secret that'll change everything. Veteran investors don't go through the everyday insurance companies. They just use NREG. NREG, that's N-R-E-I-G, provides insurance solely for real estate investors. They've built the largest insurance program in the country for residential, tenant-occupied, vacant, and renovation properties. The best part? You can put all your properties on one insurance schedule and one monthly bill. 
and you can add, change, or remove properties without having to cancel one policy and purchase another. They insure properties from single-family rentals, up to 20-unit multifamily dwellings, vacation rentals, mobile homes, condos, and more. Trade catchy jingles for cash flow with insurance made for investors. Visit nreg.com slash bppod to request a proposal. N-R-E-I-G dot com slash B-P-P-O-D. You're trying to close on your next rental, so why is your insurance company dragging its feet? With long lead times and never-ending paper forms, it's no wonder it takes forever to finally get a policy. Modern investors deserve better. They deserve Steadily.com. At Steadily.com, you'll get fast, affordable landlord insurance available online 24-7 in just a few clicks. You can even get next-day coverage, which takes just minutes, by the way, to obtain. And you can do it all from your phone. Steadily was founded by landlords who created insurance products tailored to the unique needs of this industry. It's their sole focus, and that's why landlords nationwide consistently rate them 4.8 out of 5 stars. So whether you've got a single family, short-term, or multifamily portfolio, Steadily.com can secure the best coverage at the best price to protect your properties. Discover how Steadily can save you both time and money on your rental property insurance. Visit Steadily.com for a commitment-free quote tailored to your needs today. Really, what are some of the big mistakes that were made that you just learned a painful lesson? Yeah, so one one property I remember when I was first getting started was the property in, like I was looking at it from an aerial view and you can't see the back of the property, but it just dips, it like dips, it's like a ditch. Um, so I bought a property, it only had like the front 20% of the property usable. You can't build on it. <laughs> and the rest was just- The rest is just, it goes down. You know, that's it's, such a good point because when you look at surveys or you look at like the title company like or a GPS satellite image, you're like, oh, look, it's a really big trapezoid. This is a really big property, right? And you can't tell the actual, like, uh, I don't know what the fancy word is for elevation. Here. Yeah, the elevation of the property. And I've, I did the same thing buying cabins in the mountains where I'm like, this lot's huge. And I'm all excited to go see. And then I go and it's like, oh, I have like 12 feet of driveway and then a house and there's nothing but complete drop off underneath and it's completely unusable land. So I can see how that'd be very easy to do when you're buying out of state. Yeah. So that, that happens. And it actually happened a few times before I learned my lesson that Google Earth Pro actually has topo topography. You could actually look into it. Okay. I bought some lots that were in flood zones uh, that you couldn't build wet, too wet. I bought a number of properties without road access. Those actually can be okay from time to time if you uh, buy them right. Um, but those, those are the primary issues that I've had. Usually it's like land is super simple. You don't like the inspection is not nothing crazy unless you're buying lots for a few hundred grand that you need to make sure don't have any setbacks beyond X point. Um, Septic issues. We, we, we get, we learned a lot of lessons in Virginia and North Carolina. Those are like States where like, for example, you go to Texas or California, uh, in Florida, Florida, you got to look out for wetness, but like perking and all this stuff it's not that relevant to the properties it's not really an issue but you go to like we tried to do deals in i remember richmond virginia and uh raleigh north carolina for example and we we got our our butts handed to us in terms of like buying dogs we still like at least broke even or made a little money but you know we buy it and then the real estate agent's like this thing doesn't perk i'm like how did you know that he's like well if you go to this page on this website at the county level, they have all the perking information and this is, makes it, you know, a not buildable lot. And we're like, how the heck were we supposed to know this? So you just like, as we're, as we've built this thing, we have a lot, you just kind of get those scars and you learn it's similar probably with houses and all that, but we learn it just 
you know, so now we're like, do we really want to like put a lot of effort into these areas where the barrier to entry is so high? Not always. Cause it's, you know, there's a lot of things that you could miss. Yeah. There's one more thing that is common to miss that we've missed is properties can be in HOAs, homeowners associations, and there's big fees and back liens on the properties. Um, taxes are easy to check back taxes. Uh, liens are a little bit harder because you're not always certain a property's in an HOA unless you investigate the area a little bit closer. Um, so we've had, I've had some properties that I've just had to let go to basically go let, let properties go to tax auction because, uh, there've been back, big back liens on them. I, what I like about the story so far is you guys have freely accepted. We're going to make mistakes. We're not going to bet a thousand. You don't know what you don't know. Part of running a successful business is getting your teeth kicked in, especially in the beginning, but it never stops. Like there's always a new thing that pops up or an employee that made a decision where they didn't, they hadn't seen that before. They made a mistake. There's so many mistakes that happen in any good enterprise. And a lot of investors have this, I don't know what it is that makes us think investing in real estate or running a business in a real estate environment will be different than everything else in the world where like, oh, mistakes shouldn't happen here and you should just buy a property and it should go really smooth. And someone else should have been there to tell me every single thing that I would have needed to know. And if if one thing goes wrong, they think I shouldn't get into this where you guys are like, oh, no, no, no. Like we could write a book about all the things that we had to learn the hard way. But what I love is you figured out a way to mitigate that risk. Like, well, we make sure we buy at a certain price or we make sure that we have enough of these really solid ones in our portfolio to make up for some of the dogs. So what are some of the things that you've implemented into this EOS system that you know are KPIs in your business? You got to get this thing right. And if you do, the rest of it will probably be okay. I wanted to add one thing you were going to say, and then I'll let Willie go into KPIs. We got business coaches that think he's out of his mind for the amount of things that Willie tracks. We have a high level executive coach and he was like, what the heck are you guys doing? And Willie's like, we're going to keep tracking these. Um, He's very numbers driven. But what I wanted to add to what you were saying is, you know, about failing and, um, and, and taking risks. So one of the things like I, you know, the bet, the way that I've run my life and the way that I do things and Willie's the same is I'd rather learn by doing and trying versus like reading about a theoretical thing. And we've kind of implemented that culture into our business. So now that me and Willie are not necessarily in the weeds on any of these deals, we give our employees a lot of uh, freedom in terms of like freedom in terms of like, I'd rather have someone go out and try some stuff and mess up versus like having to have everything perfectly aligned and have to have every question answered. I kind of rather let them make a mistake, learn, learn from it. And give I, we give our, our team members a lot of uh, freedom to kind of do stuff so that they can try things instead of like, you know, this rigid system. Um, and I think that's been a little bit of our, our secret sauce is, you know, and we also seek to hire people that are, kind of of that same mindset, not super rigid and more, they think entrepreneurial, maybe they, uh, you know, they think like a business owner. That's actually one of our like company principles is kind of thinking like a business owner and and taking some risk, not crazy risk, but, you know, having that sort of company culture and and that, that kind of goes hand in hand with like, you know, not having this like, oh my God, it has to be perfect. And I, and I, you know, that's when people get scared and they don't act. And, you know, for the people listening, it's like, you know, some people don't want to act, don't, don't want to get started because the stars have to align when the reality is, is you could just jump in there. And, you know, if you take a calculated risk, okay, maybe you're okay with losing $500 or $1,000. It's probably 
better to lose that $500, get that education and learn and pick up and go again versus like, okay, this has to work and da, 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 da. So that's kind of the piece that I wanted to add there. And I think it's really important. Uh, you know, that's just how we think. And I, and I think it's kind of, you know, the results are there to prove that it's, it's, it's works. Yeah. I don't think that it could be denied at this point that the learn by doing model is overall, you're going to learn more and you're going to learn faster than when you want to analyze something for six years before you take a step because you don't want to make a mistake. Yeah. It's like people trying to time the market, right? Can't time the market or stocks, you know, that's exactly when's, when's the bottom, when's the bottom. Well, if you would have just jumped in there and you average it out, you wrote a one anyways. That is a great point. Willie, what are some of the KPIs that you focus on from your end? Yeah. So, um, Basically, the way we break it down is we have 60-something processes in our business. And each process, like I think of a process like lead comes in, how does it work through the system? Um, or we buy property, what are the steps needed to close through a title company? What are the steps needed to close a property without a title company? Um, so that those are just some examples. So we have 62 processes and each process has multiple steps. And at each decision point, and I'm getting a little technical, um, and I'll I'll talk high level in a second. But each this each process has a decision point that um, may or may not be a KPI. So lead comes in. Did we call them? Did we call that lead? What are the number of called leads versus uncalled leads? How many of those leads converted to an opportunity? And this is just from the acquisition side or sales side. How many of those opportunities converted to an appointment? And how many of the leads converted to appointment to a sale? So just from that. Like we had X amount of leads come in. We had X amount of opportunities created. We had X number of appointments set and, and uh, attended X amount of uh, deals closed. That's just an example. So each, um, each side of our business has a process. And so we manage a lot of those KPIs. Um, so for me, I review the KPIs once a week. Um, again, we have over 250 KPIs and most of them are not important. So I think a lot of your listeners should realize that there's only a handful that are like can do most of the work for us like you can't oversee an entire 60 plus person company by listening you can't listen to all the calls from sales acquisitions customer service transactions um finance etc so in order to just oversee and make sure that everyone is being held accountable i just like to look to see oh there's been three delayed closings this week that the closing date has been pushed that's one of the kpi examples so just look, managing a business from a high level, looking at all the numbers from all the processes is for me, it gives me a little peace of mind being able to manage the business and understand what people are doing and um, what numbers, where the numbers are trending um, to make sure that we're going in the right direction. So for me, it's, it's the only way to manage um, a company at scale and be able to understand and hold people accountable and responsible for what they're supposed to do. So if you had to sum up, like if we get this part of it right, we can make mistakes and the other parts will be okay. What are the most important parts of the business? I think, I mean, and this will, this, this, what I, this applies to anyone that's in real estate. And I, you know, it's a cliche say, say, saying, but if you buy the property right, you can't lose. So if you buy it at the right price and you buy it at the right location or whatever it is, it's, in my opinion, if you do the work up front, you're going to probably be safe. So it's like doing it right in the beginning versus trying to fix it on the back end or like you're going to sell it because you got better marketing. No, you bought it at such a low price and your basis is so low that it's hard to lose. That's a great point. Like just buying it right. If you buy it right in the right area where there's demand, 
every other mistake can be figured out and your business is going to be okay, right? I guess. <laughs> Everything will be okay. <laughs> yeah. The key to our whole business is that we're yeah buying land at discounted prices. The product's good. We're buying good land at good prices. And so a lot of our mistakes are going to be forgiven because we we did the only thing that mattered. It's a mistake that not just forgiven, but it doesn't it doesn't uh, collapse the entire business if you make that mistake. Whereas if you pay too much for the land and you can't sell it, that would collapse the whole business. The whole thing would freeze, right? I just noticed there's certain mistakes that you're going to make. And so, and a lot of people put their attention on that part, right? Like they just focus on the wrong thing. They try to get operations perfect or they try to make the experience as smooth as it could be. And they don't actually buy the properties right, or they don't buy the right areas. And so that's why I'm asking that question because Every business has a thing you get a better better return on for doing well. And many people focus on the wrong part of that thing, or they even worse, they end up just following someone else's blueprint that is completely unrelated to their own skill set and their own strengths, and then it doesn't work for them. So with you two, what would you say uh, each of you has to get do, do well for the business to thrive? Paul, I'll start with you. Um, I think I think for me on my end, like, it's changed over time as we built a team. Like when we first started, it was, you know, doing the marketing, doing the sales, uh, and, you know, making sure that all that's running smoothly. And now that like we have a sales manager and we have a whole team for marketing, um, it's kind of shifted. So now it's more like being the visionary. I'm more the visionary. Willie's the integrator. So where's the company going? Uh, like, so, you know, we decide we will like it's going this way. Willie's the one that's going to make sure as the operations that the operations are going there. So my my primary role is visionary and in figuring out where do we need to march towards, as well as uh, okay, we want to march towards this. What relationships do I need to create uh, outside of our organization that will help us get there? And who do we need to be networking with? Where do we need to be going? Uh, who do I need to be reaching out to, to help us get to that destination? That's, that's what my primary focus is. And Willie, when you get, when you get to that destination, what are you doing? When we get there, doing a little dance. (laughs) Uh, no, I mean, what do you mean? Like when we get to like, where we like hit our goals or how, how do we get to our goals? The story that I heard Paul saying is basically like, you guys are like, you have this army and he's going to go like survey, where should we move the troops? Where's the opportunity? How am I going to speak with the locals when I get there? What allies, alliances do I need to make? It's sort of like, this is where the biggest opportunity is. And then it's identified and he's going to figure out how do I get us from where we are to there? And then when you get there, Willie, you jump in and you're like, right, I'm going to make sure that when we're here, we're doing things the right way. We're buying the right properties. We are getting enough stuff in the pipeline. We're selling them at the right margins and we're tracking what's going on. Do I have that wrong? Yeah, well, I guess the um, getting there is part is journey in itself. So I think like making sure that we have the right um, like data systems. Um, I also handle finance, making sure that everything is we're well ca- capitalized, that our reporting is good. Um, just making sure that our CRM is um, that our CRM is w- what we needed to do. I mean, right now, like a lot of my time is spent dealing with, we've got like three to five developers working on our uh, CRM at one point. So making sure that we're building it, um, making sure that we're hitting our KPIs, making sure that nothing gets lost. So there's there's a ton to do and a ton of organization that's needed for us um, in order to kind of just keep building and keep keep chugging and keep growing it, hit the goals that we want to hit. All right, we're going to move on to the next segment of our show. It is the Deal Deep Dive. Ah! 
this section of the show, we're going to dive deep into a deal that you guys have done and learn the specifics of it. So question number one, what kind of property is this? Sure. So I just pulled up a random property uh, that I think we sold right before the show. Um, so this is one second. This is a property in Southern California in um, this is Los Angeles County. I'm just pulling it up on my screen so I can look at it. Um, I have the numbers in front of me though. So this is a property in California that we purchased for um, six, $6,300. Um, and we purchased it with cash. Um, it is located in a, um, let me see, I'm just pulling it up. It's on a, like a paved road, a paved road in California. Um, it is two and a half acres. And how did you find this particular property? So this property, for example, is in one of our areas that we just, have been doing deals in for probably five years. Um, it's just an area we know super well and uh, outside, basically outside of Los Angeles, California. Um, and so it's just part of like our, so the way that we run our business is we have different areas. Like we don't, we treat our business like a invent, like properties, like inventory, like, like as if a store was stocking it. So if we're, you know, California is one of our main markets in certain areas. And so this is an area that we quote unquote restock. We, we look at each property as like a stock. So this is just an area that we do business in regularly. Okay. And then you mentioned you paid 6,500 for it. Yeah. 6,400. That's okay. Right. And then is there a story of how you negotiated or did someone on your team do that? Uh, yeah. So we have, so this property, I, I think we probably sent out a mailer and then our mailers go to either a live uh, acquisitions member or it'll go to our answering service. And then from there, uh, we basically have like a system to review the deals. And if we like the deal, someone will go and call them and negotiate. Um, and so it's probably negotiated by someone from the team. Okay. And then you've already mentioned you funded it by being cash. So what did you do with it? How did you exit this property? How did you sell it? Sure. So we sold this property uh, for owner financing terms. So like we talked about before, so we posted it on our website and maybe it was featured. Maybe it was a featured property of the week. I'm not really sure. Uh, but property was posted. Someone, you know, a sales agent helped this per helped, uh, the buyer find this property and they went to the website, put their credit card in and started making monthly payments on it. So we sold it on owner finance terms. Okay. Awesome. Now I see the outcome there. So was there any lessons that you learned from this deal? This particular deal, particular deal? No, uh, just it's, this is kind of just, you know, a cookie cutter deal for us. Um, buy it for six. This was a, a little bit higher of a purchase price, uh, than we, than like our average. Um, so just, uh, I'm sure you want to go over the economics of it. Oh, you mentioned that you, okay. You bought it for six, four hundred. I only oh, told you what I bought. That's it. true. What did you sell it for? <laughs> sure. Uh, so this property, the person checked out and the terms were, um, had it in front of me. I think it was, uh, it was two. 269 times uh, 120. So, uh, for, sorry, $269 for 120 months, which is $32,000. So they bought on like a 10 year note, basically. Exactly. So that we'll just, they'll make the monthly payments. And that's 0% uh, interest you said you guys were doing? Yeah. That's pretty cool. So we're done with the deal deep dive, but I want to ask you, how big of a concern do you guys have with inflation when you're selling most of what you're selling on terms? Uh, inflation in, in what aspects? Uh, like if you're selling it for 32,000, but they're paying it over 10 years, the money you're collecting six, seven, eight years from now could be significantly less than what it's worth today. If inflation continues to get 
bad. Is that something you guys are taking into consideration when you're doing these deals? Or are you just knowing we're going to make our money back in the first two years? So anything on top of that is just icing on the cake. Yeah. I mean, that's actually great. No one has actually, we talked to investors and all these people, no one's actually ever asked us that question before. It's a great question. Um, so maybe Willie has a different answer because we've never been asked it. But my my response to that is that we look at it like, okay, we're going to make our money back in one and a half to two years on average. And then every payment after that is profit. So mm-hmm. I don't, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it concerns me very much. And I'd love to hear what you have to say out of Willie. <laughs> yeah. So I think, I mean, there's two sides of it, right? So we bought, we, we carry the note. Yes. The value of the note decreases with inflation. So that is a consideration, but um, one, like you said, we do get our cost back super quick. So on average, on our whole portfolio, we'll get our cost basis back in about 16 to 18 months. So we're de-risked from that standpoint, like margins super good. Everything after that is profit. Um, and the second thing is the other side of it is that, and we can get into our how we're financed, but we carry uh, a lot of debt. So you can think of us, our model is that of a finance company. We, t- we take, we raise debt and then we issue basically credit. It's an installment contract. Um, but in, but we're, we're holding notes in a portfolio. Um, so the value of our debt also goes down um, with inflation. So it's two sides of it. And the one thing that always goes up is the value of our inventory, our, the land that we own. So right now we've got um, 700 lots that we own that as inflation happens, the value of those properties are only increasing. Which decreases your risk in the case of someone stops paying and you have to go take it back. Right. So from that standpoint, I could also talk about that, touch upon it, but we don't take on um, really much credit risk at all because we own the property while customers are making payments. We keep the title. Like we said, it's kind of a rent to own type contract. So in the event of a default, um, we already own the title. There's no foreclosure costs. There's no legal fees, uh, maybe some operational costs, but not nothing um, substantial. So we, um, we retain the payments and a lot of times uh, the property has appreciated in the time frame the, the buyer has been making payments. So, I mean, what, what you're basically describing is you don't have to go to court and issue and go through a foreclosure proceeding to take title away from the person who owns it because they stopped making the payments. Uh, what is the process like if you actually have to, is you just file paperwork and you immediately take it back if you can show that they violated their contract by stopping their payments? Right. So I just want to be clear, by all means, we want people to continue making payments. It's better for us. It's better for them. We we want everyone to start to finish the contract. Um, but for us, operationally, it's we send out a certified letter in the mail um, once they've missed a payment or they've entered into an event of default. And then they have a cure period. After that cure period, uh, we can remarket and sell the property if they haven't um, if they haven't made their finished making their payment. Yep. But the point is, it's super easy to do. So I like what you're saying is, yeah, inflation may hurt us on the upside, but it protects us on the downside because the money that we're borrowing from other people, we're paying back with cheaper dollars than what we borrowed. And in a sense, you've sort of tied the risk like every smart personal finance manager does. No shock, Willie, that that's what you did. You've tied the upside and the downside to the same place. So as one goes up, the other does. And as one goes down, so does the other. So you keep your risk low and that's very nice. Plus you're doing so much volume 
I don't think it matters as much as you guys thinking how how much can we scale? How many of these properties can we buy and how many can we sell? As when you're only getting like, you know, six or seven properties, how much inflation hurts you is very significant. But when you've got 700 lots and counting, the impact of that on your actual personal financial situation is not nearly as prevalent. So it's very, very smart. I'm impressed with what you guys are doing. And I'm also impressed with the creativeness of it. Part of me is feeling like some of the secret sauce might be the website you've created where it's actually incredibly easy for someone to just go in there and buy land with a credit card. I didn't ask you about that, but do you guys feel that's part of your advantage? I think I think there's not one single point of advantage. Uh, I think it's just how we've probably the, just the rep, the reps that we've put in and the stuff that we've tried and the, you know, the finance, the finance piece of it, the, the platform piece of it, of how, you know, we, we treat this like a brand and, and, you know, this robust website with a full e-commerce team. And, um, I don't, I, I, I really don't think it's one single thing. It's all of these things combined together and, and our drive to improve it every single day and have the best possible experience. And, um, you know, people ask us about it and I, you know, coming from the Amazon background, Amazon, when they started Amazon, all they, their most important thing was the customer, right? So for us, we're always thinking about the customer and like, how can we make this easier? How can we make it better? How can we provide better properties that people really want? And so it's like, if you look at it from there and then walk back versus like, how can I make the most amount of money? Then you're going to make bad decisions that, that aren't good for the customer versus doing what the right thing is. And then if you do the right thing for the customer, it's going to make you infinitely more money than only worrying about driving profits. That's how life works. That's It's just what questions are you asking? Are you asking, how do I make this easier for me? Or are you asking, how do I make this easier for the customer? And that applies to every business or vocation anyone can be in. If you're the title officer or the real estate agent or whoever who's like, oh, this guy's always asking for something else. How do I make it easier for me? No one wants to work with you. When you're the one that's always trying to figure out how do I make this easier for someone else, all the business comes to you and you can actually scale it like you guys have. So wanted to highlight that because I wish more people would hear it. I really think that's the number one cause of most people that are frustrating economically is they're taking the wrong approach to how to make money. They're looking for a solution that does not require them to serve other people or something. And and that goes back to my origin story of like not being fulfilled or providing value. And like, you know, every day I wake up and I we're building this thing that in my opinion is providing so much value in this real estate space um, and we're providing a real service on the front end and the back end. And we're, you know, we're helping people that want to, you know, that maybe they have land and they just don't know what to do with it or they're having a hard time getting rid of it. So we're helping people there and we're helping fulfill people's dreams on the back end of owning their dream property. Maybe they don't own a home, but it's pretty damn easy for them to go and put their credit card in and pay $200 a month. And in five to 10 years, they're going to own this thing that they can pass down to their children. That's a story that we hear all the time. Um, and we're making those dreams a reality all the time. And we have awesome reviews. People leave us awesome reviews just about like, you know, fulfilling their dreams. And for us, I think that's super powerful. It's not about the real estate. It's not about making the money. It's like, we're literally helping to change people's lives through real estate. Um, and as corny as it sounds, it's really true. And we're make we're providing a product that is super easy to have an impact on someone's life, you know, like maybe they've been a renter their whole life. Well, now they have an opportunity to own something and maybe they don't, they don't have the, the, 
you know, the financial acumen to buy a house, but they could buy this property and now they have something that they're proud of. They ha- they're they fulfilling their version of the American dream. All right, we're going to move on to the last segment of the show. This is the Famous Four. Famous Four. In this segment of the show, I'm going to ask each of you the same four questions we ask every guest. So question number one, we'll start with you, Willie. What is your favorite real estate book? Uh, favorite real estate book, I would say, is Am I Being Too Subtle by Sam Zell. So he's someone I've looked up to for a long time. Great investor, uh, maybe the best real estate investor of all time. Um, so I thought that book was super valuable, super inspiring story. All right, how about you, Paul? I don't know. If this is weird, but I've never actually read a real estate book. <laughs> is that is that okay? Is that okay? Yeah. So of the people you network with, what's their favorite book? I don't know. I know what like <laughs> podcast people like. I know what YouTube channels. I know like all that stuff. Like I I like you want to talk business books. Like I I've read a lot of them, but like I've actually never read a real estate book. Not a problem at all. You guys are writing your own book right now, so that's fine. The second question you're gonna like this. So Paul, what's your favorite business book? I I like the business book, The Hard Thing About Hard Things, by uh, Ben Ben Horowitz, who's from Andreessen Horowitz. Uh, he is, um, cause I, there's a lot of books that I've read that are maybe business, but they're like how to change your life. This is like a hardcore business book of like, what's it like running like a multi-thousand person company and you're going public and then like your stock prices tank and like, how do you manage that outcome? Um, so that's my favorite, like uh, business, business book. All right. Willie, same question. What's your favorite business book? Uh, I was thinking about that one too. That was definitely a good book. I liked that a lot. Um, I'll go with uh, Made in America by Sam Walton, uh, the story of Walmart. I, I, I guess I like these stories of super inspiring people doing cool things. So it was very well written and um, another inspiring business book. All right. Paul, what about your hobbies? Hobbies. Um, I am an avid tennis player. So that's one of my hobbies. My other hobbies is um, doing any sort of water sports. I do a lot of like wake surfing and uh, jet skiing and stuff like that. So, you know, that's one of the reasons why I moved down to Florida so I could do more of that. All right. How about you, Willie? Uh, I have a few. So I like playing chess a lot. It's one of my, I probably play chess every day after the Queen's Gambit. Uh, my uncle started playing, my dad started playing, and they got me hooked. So I've been playing a lot of chess. You have a score? Was it the ELO score? ELO? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what ELO is, but my chess.com score is uh, just above 1,500. Okay. So uh, good enough. I'm going to smile and nod like I know if 1500 is good or not. I have no idea. I'm assuming it's pretty good because you seem like a smart dude. Uh, it's good. It's good. Yeah. So I, I like playing poker as well. I like uh, playing tennis, being active, going to the beach. Do you guys play doubles tennis like you play doubles business? I've actually only played tennis with Paul once, hmm. surprisingly. What would the strategy be if you two were playing tennis together? How would you be attacking the other team? I would just be demolishing Paul, trying to shove the ball on his side of the court no 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 you're on the same team in this oh case. we're on the same team yes i don't know i feel like paul's got a good serve i think paul would probably be distracting the opponents talking to them finding out what their goals are in life what they're interested in and you would be a cold calculated like anticipating the trajectory of the perfect shot and putting spin on the ball and finding their weakness and exploiting it while paul gathered the intel that you needed to do so that's how i see <laughs> this relationship working you're not wrong <laughs> All right. In your opinion, Paul, what sets apart successful investors from those who give up, fail, or never get started? Yeah, that's an awesome question. Um, the big, the big difference between that is um, just I think what we talked about earlier is the willingness to try things, the willingness to 
to be okay with failure. And, um, you know, I, I won't go into like super cliche, like, you know, thousand, every shot you miss is a shot and whatever that quote is. But, um, you know, the biggest difference is, is like I said, is like you can go out there and you're willing to lose money or you're, you're okay with, with the outcome of, of failing. Uh, but just taking a, taking every single opportunity that's put in front of you and treating it as a learning experience, whether it's a win or a loss, it's at the end of the day, it's, it's something that's going to get you for closer to your goal in the future. Um, so that's, that's what I would say sets people up differently. It's just, it's just mindset. All right. Willie, same question to you. Yeah. I mean, I think it's pretty similar. Like, um, just when you have an idea or, um, opportunity to take something on just if if you educate if you're educated enough and like think it might work just take the action do the thing and then learn later um i think one of the best things that paul and i do is uh we have an idea and then uh, how do we do the idea and then we just we like we don't put too much thought into it um so i think just execution without too much thinking don't overthink things being persistent having courage um i think making good decisions while things are hard while, while you're in the trenches and things might not be working right now and you still have to turn the corner to figure things out um, requires a lot of courage. So I think having courage, um, knowing that things are going to go wrong and, and embracing it and just having the mindset and the opportunity to overcome it. I think that's how um, you get through things. All right, Paul, where can people find out more about you? So I made a little website, paulhersko.com. And it's one of those link tree things. And there's a link to our fund if you want to do investing or there's a link to my Calendly if you want to chat and my LinkedIn. And I made it simple. Just go to that and you can contact me. All my info's there, paulhersko.com. All right, Willie, same question. Yeah, same answer. <laughs> uh, so you can go to williegoldberg.com, W-I-L-L-I-E-G-O-L-D-B-E-R-G, williegoldberg.com. Uh, we do have an investment fund. If you're interested in investing in uh, discount lots, uh, we have Sunny Capital Group. If you're a credit investor, schedule a call with me. Go there. Uh, you could also shoot me an email. Uh, my email should be on there as well. Just click the link uh, and look forward to connecting. I'm curious if if I'm curious if uh, I'm going to get more link clicks or will Willie get more link clicks? You've got a competition. I can tell you guys might be lightweight competitive based on the tennis. All right, so. If you would like to ask a question about raw land, now that we're going to be having Willie and Paul on Seeing Green, go to biggerpox.com slash David and ask your question about raw land. We will pick the best one and we will bring back Willie and Paul to answer it. And then we will see who won the click wars. All right, guys, thanks a lot for being here. I'm gonna let you get out of here. This is David Green for Bigger Pockets signing off. There's a reason small multifamily investing is so popular in the Bigger Pockets community. With just a 3.5% down payment, you can own up to four different units. Think about it. If you house hack and live in one of the units, you still have three different groups of tenants helping you pay down your mortgage every month, four kitchens and bathrooms you could renovate to increase your property value, four different Airbnbs, medium-term rentals, or other rental strategies that you can try in one property, all in just one transaction. Of course, the question is, where do you find a small multifamily property that you can actually afford? Which market and which deals are best for you? Once you close, how do you manage it? 
optimize it, keep scaling, and living your life without being tied down to four leaky toilets or four fussy tenants. All great questions, my friends. All to be answered in the upcoming small multifamily bootcamp with Chris Lopez and Leica Devatha. So if you're serious about growing your portfolio with this highly efficient strategy, head to biggerpockets.com slash four, F-O-U-R. Today, and join us in the small multifamily bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all hosts and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. BiggerPockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.